And I want to bring your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just a thought. I want to thank you for your prayers and supplications. And I say supplications, that's a church word. (laughs) How many of you use supplications in your everyday language? That's a church word, your prayers and supplications. Let me just say prayers, because we don't use that word supplications. You know, you don't call, you don't call your friend and say, what you been doing? Oh, just making supplications. More like filling applications. That's more. But I thank you for your prayers, and um, uh, God is doing something here. And he's not going to do it by numbers. I see that God is not going to do it by numbers. He's going to do it by quality. He's not going to do it with crowds. He's going to do it with the faithful. And I'm okay if that's how God does it. But one thing I know is that no matter how he does it, God is going to do it. Amen, somebody. Deuteronomy chapter 7 for a few moments. Uh, I just want to give a thought on the love of God. Somebody begin reading at verse number 7. We have readers here. I'm not going to belabor. We thank God for our praise leaders. Please stand for the reading of the word. Read 7. Let's read 7 through 11. And I'll read this because we do want to keep in mind the preaching moment. And I know there are announcements that some people have asked to make, but I need to tell you all that the preaching moment Uh, I have to protect the preaching moment. I'm seeing something happen, and and as a a man of God, I've got to not ignore what's happening. And what's happening is there is a declining appetite for the preaching moment. As there is an an increased appetite for the moment of... uh, what some would call entertainment or being uh, detained. There's a generation that really is no longer interested in what God has to say. And we're in trouble as a church if we become tired of the preaching moment. Are you understanding what I'm saying? This will become a very good organization, but it will stop being an organism. Organizations run by people with positions. Organisms run by the breath of life. And this is the breath of life. Chapter 7, verse number 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand 
and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Verse 9, knowing therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. You may be seated. We've been talking about love all month. And I want to talk to you about the love of God. And this is not anything new to the early group. How many of you would say God loves you? Somebody ought to put their hands together if you love the Lord. Today, the world offers us a love that is subjective, meaning you get to define what love is. You get to define what love is by what you feel, by what you like, by what you dislike. We are offered a grand platter of different renditions of love when we watch television, reality TV, when we watch televisions, you know, shows on television and, and movies, and we get all of these images of love and then we turn out with all of these images of love that we've swallowed and eaten and we've eaten it by watching reality show after reality show and love and hip-hop and love and mess and love and housewives and love and this. And the love that the world presents us is, becomes this big hybrid, this big concoction of lust and, and mess and, and desire and what you want. And it becomes these different expressions outside of the realm of God, then you bring that love, that rendition of love to the throne of God and you expect out of God the rendition of love that you were given by the devil. You should never expect the love of God or from God that the devil defines. And so it is very important this morning that I give you this idea, this thought, this meditative moment on understanding the love of God. Because you can't love me with the love of God if you don't know what the love of God is. Now here in this text, I'm moving quickly. God says something to Israel. Everybody say Deuteronomy. I'm just not... That book is the last book before the people of God who were slaves for 430 years move into the promised land. And God is rehearsing with them everything he did for them. He took 40 years to date them. They were engaged for 40 years. Of course, God was already knowing what he wanted, but he needed to wait till they honored him and understood what they were getting into with God. So God took 40 years to love them, to feed them, to give them water that, that was bitter, that had been turned sweet, to give them quail from heaven, to give them manna, to protect them when they couldn't fight for themselves, to rid themselves of the parts of them that were hindering their 
of progress. All of that time, God says, I'm courting you and I'm doing this because I need you to know who I am. I need you to know that I know who you are and I need you to know I love you. And God in verse number seven tells them, well, they have nothing. Here they are. They were slaves 40 years, 430 years. They're in the wilderness. And God is reminding them before you go into Canaan and before you are great and before you become this big nation that every other nation is afraid of and before you develop princes and before you develop judges and before you develop kings and before you develop leadership and structure, before you get to where you're conquering nations and sending your enemies running and flying away before you get to where your military is so strong that at the name of the children of Israel other people will be afraid before you get big before you get bad and before you get bougie let me tell you how I love you and this is what he says he says I didn't put my heart on you I didn't Put my love on you because of you. Point number one, here's the first thought. The love of God is humbling. Watch what God is saying. God is saying that I don't love you because of any way you make me feel. Amen? That's easy, right? I'm going to show you how it's not so easy. He says, I don't love you because you're beautiful. I don't love you because you're great. I don't love you because you're a big nation. I don't love you because you love me. I don't love you because of anything that is about you. Now, I'm going to tell you that's a problem. It's not a problem in church when we're sitting there. But if you dated somebody and you said, baby, why do you love me? And they said, because I'm just like that. I just love like that. You know that would be a problem because in the human experience, what we want to hear are things that point to us, that make us feel better about us, that make us know and more be more confident about us. But God says there's nothing about my love that'll make you feel more confident because I need you to know Israel before you get great, before you get to the point where everybody wants a piece of you, that I love you when you had nothing to offer, there was no wink in your I you had nothing you can give me you were not even a nation it was just 70 of you I need you to know that I love you for nothing that means that means so the human experience says why do you love me you're so pretty why do you love you me you're so smart baby you're so smart You walk into a room and ignorance has to leave. (laughs) Baby, why do you love me? Because you're so fine. The other way around, baby, why do you love me? Because you're so strong. You make me feel like a woman. And that's the love, watch this, that points to the object of the love. But God says to Israel, 
There's nothing about you that serves as the reason why I love you. That's humbling. And you say, well, that doesn't make me feel good. Because you have so many move movements where we're superficially and artificially trying to build people's confidence with something other than God. And we're creating monsters who not only have their confidence built, but their confidence has metamorphosed or turned or transformed into arrogance. Because the human psyche can't handle an overabundance of confidence before it slips into arrogance. And I'm not saying walk around having low self-esteem, but we were not designed to be too confident in ourselves because there's a God complex in each of us that secretly because of sin wants to be aggrandized the way only God should be aggrandized. So God tells Israel, before you get big, before you get fine, before you get to where other people want you, and other gods want you to serve them before you get to where people wink at you when you walk by, I need you to know that I loved you when you were nothing. And here's the beauty of that. Here's the beauty of the love of God. Because everybody, hear me, will end up back at nothing. Y'all missing this. Y'all missing this. Y'all missing this. Uh, see, here's the thing. When that love is conditional, then it's about this, that, and the other. And if your love and the love you receive is based on this, that, and the other, guess what you have to do to this, that, and the other to keep that love? You got to maintain this, that, and the other. And some of you are tired right now because you're trying to maintain this, that, and the other. Well, what is this, that, and the other? This, that, and the other are the things that people say are the reasons why they love you. If you, they love you because you look good, guess what? what you got to keep doing for them to love you. You got to keep looking good. If they love you because you, you spend money on them, guess what you got to do? You got to keep spending money on them. You have to maintain the this, the that, and the other. That's why real love is prematurely the call when you're, when you're dealing with this, that, and the other. And God says, I love you before there was a this, before there was a that, before there was the other, so that when you're tired of performing for people, to get them to feel the same way about you and you can no longer dance and you can no longer sing or preach the way they think you should preach or sing the way they think you should sing and you have nothing left to offer and you shrink back to the nothing you started with guess who's there to love you the same God who loved you when there was no this, no that and no the other So the love of God is humbling because this means no matter how much better I make myself look, he ain't going to love me more. Don't miss that. This means no matter how much more I perform, he's not going to love me more because his love was never based or my performance 
And he tells Israel this. Why does he tell them this now? Because some people will walk into their lives when they become a nation that were not interested in them when they were a family in bondage. Who, Jesus, help me, Holy Ghost. See, there are some people that walk into your life and they love you when you become a nation. I'm not talking to that side. I don't know what's going on. Has anybody that walked into your life and loved you when you become a nation? You don't get what I'm saying. You don't get. Maybe this middle side. There are some people that will walk into your life and love you when you mature into a nation. When you got something to offer. When you look good to everybody. The same folk that says there's love for anybody. I guess anybody can fall in love. When you become a nation, those are the people that turn and look at you. And they want to deal with you because you're a nation. You're not just a family of 70 people. Now they're interested in what God you want to worship. Now they're offering you idol gods. Now they're interested in what you're about, where you came from. Now they want to get to know you better. But God is saying, don't get it twisted. Nobody will love you like I love you because I loved you before there was a you. I loved you before you had anything to offer don't let a Johnny come lately come and replace my love with their conditional performance based nation based love because at the end of the day when you strip it all down so God wanted Israel to know that it wasn't you I love you because that's just me so guess what? You don't have to maintain anything. And I'm here to tell you, children of God, stop killing yourself trying to earn God's love. You're trying hard and giving yourself rules. You're going to fall. You're going to falter. You're going to mess up. You're going to be, find yourself in the lowest valleys on the ground. But God says, I met you on the ground. And it's as if God is saying, if I can love you at the lowest point you can be, then there's nothing that can happen from here that will stop me from loving you. The second point I have for you is that his love is sustaining. Write that down. It's holding it. It's unfailing. Verse number nine. You can never get tired of the subject of love because just when you think you have it figured out, God shows you something else. Unfailing. The humbling part of God answers the question, why do you love me? That's what it answers. Why do you love me? Yeah, celebrities everywhere are angry at their public followers because as soon as something happened in the tabloids, 
the same ones that are responsible for their Facebook and Instagram and Twitter following are the same ones that are responsible for spreading all of the rumors and all of the negative press. And they get upset and they, they despise media. But that's because that's nation love. Most of the, that is manufactured love based on what you're doing for me at the moment. So it's designed to fail. No love that exists on earth is designed to remain but the love of God. It's unfailing. What God told Israel is, if you love me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to love you in the face of your enemies. My love will keep going. It's unfailing. I will lavish my unfailing love. Now, I'm going to tell you what makes that beautiful about God. Because people will say they, they love you. You know, people will say they love anything. But we are so finite that we can only speak for this moment. Colin, we can only speak for this moment. You can, uh, there are people that love this church. Next week is love your church. We're supposed to wear blue and yellow, everybody. And they'll say, I love this church. I've, had, I've been, here, been here 19 years, Carol and I, our family, 19 years. We've seen people and had people who had moments like Peter had on the mountain of transfiguration. It's good for us to be here. I love this church. I ain't going nowhere. The right wrong somebody talks about their kids. The right wrong somebody acknowledges somebody else but doesn't acknowledge them and they're gone. That love, that fascination, that, 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 that surface love was failing because they were only able to speak for now. Watch, watch God. This is going to bless you. The reason why God's love is unfailing is not only can he say he loves us today, but God is waiting at our first mistake saying, I love you here. He's waiting at the next one saying, I love you here. So there's nothing we can do that can throw him off and make him change how he feels about us because he's already where we're going to fail with unfailing love. See why it's fruitless? Try to beg and plead and dance and perform and crack jokes and laugh at things that aren't funny and scratch when it don't itch and, and be down and do all and contort your personality just to get the approval and love of somebody whose love might fail tomorrow. His love is humbling. It's unfailing. That's the love of God. How many of you are just glad that God loves you like that? Amen? Amen? Anybody? Go to 1 John 4, verse number 11. The unfailing love of God answers this question. If the humbling love of God answers, why do you love me? Then God's unfailing love answers, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Lord, I sin, do you still love me? In human experience, we have to dip in to see if people still feel the same way they feel about us after we hurt them. 
you, you, I don't know if you're willing to be honest about it, but if you ever hurt anybody, because I know everybody likes to be in the position of the victim. That's a comfortable position. Oh, I've been hurt. And I'm not trying to minimize that. There are some that have been hurt. But I guarantee you that there's nobody that only fits in that category. There's nobody that only fits in that category. Anybody who knows what it feels like to be hurt probably don't talk as much about knowing what it feels like to hurt somebody. Even as kids. Mama, daddy, snaps back. Don't do that. We cry. The rest of the kids in there eating with mommy and daddy or eating with grandma. And what happens? There's this thing in us that makes us hesitant to feel comfortable. It's that mechanism in us that says, do you still love me? Do you still love me? You found out my secret. Do you still love me? You found out I cuss. Come on. Come on. Yeah, it got out. Brother Hamilton said a cuss word. I come in. Uh, do you? Do you still love me? You hurt somebody and you do something that scars them and that causes them tears. There's this moment of, <sighs> it's a dance. It's, it's, <sighs> I want to, but I don't know. Do, do you still love me? God says, my love is unfailing. Which means even after I disciplined you and it was you and you were wrong, don't hesitate to come to the table. Because yes, I still love you. Amen. Give God some glory in this house. Now, how many of you see that and understand that to be the love of God? Now we'll look at this, and this is going to be it. Read, what does the Bible say? 1 John 4, verse number 11. Beloved, beloved who, who God so loved us, if God so loved us. Now watch this. If God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. Wait a minute. How many of you understood how God loves us just a moment ago? Look what God says now. The way I just love you, the way you just learned I love you, love each other like that. No, Lord, you God. You, that's different, you God, though. God, you God. God says the way I love you, turn to one another. Now, what's, what does this mean? The first point was love is what? Humbling. This means we have no business loving people based on their performance. 
Because guess what? One day they won't be able to sing and dance anymore, baby. One day they won't be able to lend you money. One day they may not be able to have the attitude that keeps you teared up. One day you may not be able to lean on them. They may get weak. They may get tired. They may get broke. They may get weary. They may get discouraged. They may get depressed. And when they have nothing left to offer, we should not shun them, but we should love them even though there's nothing to withdraw from their love account. Why do you love me? I love you because you do this, you do that, you do the other, you do this, you make me feel like this, you make me feel like that, you make me feel... You just gave that person a list of performances to keep up with in order to stay in your good grace and love. God says the way I love you, love one another. Which means that even when you won't repent, I love you. That sounds like false doctrine to somebody because, you know, the Bible says, you know, if you don't repent, you know, you're going to perish. What it doesn't say is that if you don't repent, he'll stop loving you. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible where God will stop loving you. As a matter of fact, this is going to sound weird. Hell is a gesture of love. Number one, it was designed to keep the things that bothered you up here from being where he wants you to be forever. It ain't yours. But even hell becomes a gesture of love because one thing God will not do is force you to be where you don't want to be. And let me tell you something, everybody doesn't want to go to heaven. I, I, I know, I know, this is getting into eschatology, oh my God. See, see, in our minds, we think everybody wants to go to heaven. But listen to what heaven is about. Heaven is about praising God. Heaven is about enjoying the presence of God. And if you have somebody that does not like or enjoy nor care to be in the presence of God here, then heaven is not a reward. So God says, I love you. It's unfailing. And I'll keep loving you. But now I want you to love him like that. I want you to love her like that. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I know they sit next to you in church. I get it. They sit next to you in church. That's easy. That's your husband. That's your wife. Who is it that you know can't stand you? Love that person like that. Now, in Bible class, people come up with a different story. I get what it is. Does that mean I got to be around that person? Does that mean I got to get, you know, Christmas time, I got to buy them a gift? Does that mean, I mean, I'm just saying, man, I'm, I mean, I'm just keeping it real, you know. You know, I mean, I don't think that's what God did. Okay, now, no, that's not, see, that's just it. That's just it. Because everybody that gives you a gift doesn't love you. What you talking about? Everybody that gives you a gift don't love you? Don't you know somebody will give you a kiss on the cheek and betray you and sell you for 30 pieces of silver? 
I mean, it did happen one day near Garden of Gethsemane while Jesus was meeting with the 12 that one of them leaned over and kissed him and that kiss told the Roman soldiers to come and take him so that he might be crude. Don't get it twisted. Love is not about a gift or a gift card. It's about the disposition of regard for people who not only don't regard you that way, but can give you nothing in return. So if they give you something in return, that's a plus, but don't get it twisted. God says, I loved you, and you couldn't do anything for me. Then he turns around and says, love each other like that. Because when you do, if your name is not called, you're not bothered. If you do, if somebody don't say thank you, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop now. I ain't giving you another thing. You ain't even say thank you. But did you give it for something in return? See, I'm concerned. Even about myself, I have to smack myself back into reality too. Wait a minute, JK, you, you got to be a Christian. You, you can't just, you can't boil a pot of dislike on the oven of your heart for somebody who has no regard for you and think you won't make hatred tea out of it. Eventually, the devil will lull you with your emotions right away from looking like Jesus. And you will hate in the name of Jesus. So he says, watch this. He says, love one another like that. Read the next verse so that we can hurry. It's your fault if we're late. Read. <laughs> no one has beheld God at any time. Oh, watch what John says here. If nobody has seen God. Everybody say nobody has seen God. Nobody has seen God. Now John is about to open a can of worms. Nobody has seen God. But what John is going to show is how we can give people an opportunity to see the invisible God. He said no one has seen God at any time. Read. If we love one another. But watch this. If we love one another. God abides in us. God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. And in other words, if you want to give a chance, someone a chance to see God, right. who is invisible, love. You know why the news media makes a big deal out of somebody who gets victimized and they get on the TV and they say, you know, I just hope they get help. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. What they did, it hurt. But I just hope they get help and we're praying for them. You know why the media gets a kick out of that, but a small, short kick out of that and then pulls away from that? It's a small, short kick. It won't be a 30-minute segment. 
And I'm not bashing media, but I'm, what I'm showing you is the way of the world. The way of the world is to minimize that, right. to call that person fanatical, to call them crazy, to call them a Jesus freak, because that's not the way of the world. Because guess who the God of this world is? The God of this world is Satan. The Bible says the God of this world blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. It is not common, neither is it favored in this world for you to forgive with the love of God, to love with the love of God. So you'll never see a 30-minute segment on somebody who was victimized and says, wait, wait a minute, I forgive this person. I'm praying for them, this person. I just hope they can get the help they want. Yes, they might say, oh, that's pretty a pretty swell approach and move on to some other junk news. But the reality is the reason why that doesn't work in this kingdom and it's not favorable is because this kingdom doesn't belong to God. The kingdom of the world does not belong to God. But God in God's kingdom, guess what? It is so inverse. You get a 30-minute segment in glory when you love your enemies. You're on the news in heaven when you bless those who curse you and forgive those who do you wrong because that's the kingdom way. Well, Hampton, that sounds good. But the truth of the matter is, and this is what people do when they don't want to accept the word of God. They turn the word of God on the person speaking it. Do you? Or truth, do you? Do you? We are neither, we neither initiate or reciprocate the love of God. Not with perfect reciprocation. Meaning God loves us knowing we can never ever love him the way he loves us. Who would fall in love with somebody who you know can never love you back the same way? Matter of fact, a lot of marriages are struggling right now. You know why? Because somebody loves and the other person can't meet them where they love. I love you like that. Love me like that. Well, that's why we're not the originator of love. Do we? We practice. We practice. That's why being a Christian is not just something you get. It's not even something you finally become, and that's it. You're becoming that. You're going to be afraid to say, thank you, God, because the guilt on your heart will cause you not to associate your present blessing with coming from God because in your mind, you, God can't love me like that after what I've done and after what I've said. That's the love of God. It is unfathomable. It cannot be understood, nor mimicked, nor copied by man. Who can understand the love of God? There's neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things below, nor things above who can separate you from the love of God. Paul said, I want you to know the width and the depth and the height of the love of God. There is no love on earth like the love of God. It doesn't make sense. It cannot be copied. It cannot be explained. All I know is with my wretched life, he keeps waking me up morning after morning after morning and giving me blessing after blessing after blessing, all trying to woo me back. And then ultimately, the ultimate gift of his love was that he gave the most expensive thing 
that heaven can afford. You know, we value things and gifts by how much they cost. Somebody could get you a gift. Hey, Brother Hamilton, this is for Sister Hamilton. Oh, okay. Thank you. Where's mine? No, no, just kidding, just kidding. Bad preacher. If somebody give you a gift, you take it, get somewhere later. And then sometimes you look at it, pair of shoes, pair of something. Oh, okay. Then you get a private moment. You now you see another piece of paper in there. Oh, a receipt. Wait a minute. What? Say what? The receipt sometimes they'll leave in the bag. So that you know the value of the gift. Because once you understand the value of the gift, you know the level of their love. Well, God gave a gift and left the receipt in the book. And he said, I love you so much in that while you were yet a sinner, my expensive son came down to this cheap earth, died on a cheap cross for cheap sinners so that cheap sinners can live with me forever. And he left the receipt in the book. So, not just red bottoms. Not just red bottoms. Then you go looking for somebody else who walked into your nation and pursue the imperfect love of someone who has never seen you in your complete imperfection. And God is saying, I did this for you. Now, there's somebody here that needs to respond to that love. That's the love of God. He says, love each other like that. Because one of these days, you're not going to be able to perform anymore. <laughs> Mascara, stop helping. 24-hour fitness, planet fitness, anytime fitness. <laughs> and any other kind of fitness you want to do. At some point, all the external things that people love you for will begin to fade. Your pretty will turn into purty. All of the beautification that you did on your temple will no longer hide 
the years on your body. You might lose your job and not have the money to finance the beautification of your presentation. And if that's not enough, as the clock keeps on ticking, your upright posture and Coke bottle disposition will, by the hand of nature, bend down toward Mother Earth, preparing to bow as every knee shall. And when all fades, the ones that you will know that have loved you with the love of God are the ones who remain when you have nothing left to offer. And among those will be God himself who says, I never loved you for what you had. So I don't have a problem loving you when you don't have anything left to give. Give glory to God for the love of God, for loving us anyway. Give glory to God for loving us when people don't understand, when people turn their backs, and when we have nothing more to give. Praise God for the love of God. Everybody stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. The lesson is yours.